Welcome into the Wednesday Bible Study. Uh, so glad you're here. I'm Rick Burgess, co-host of the Rick and Bubba Show. So if you're watching this live or archive, that explains all the Rick and Bubba stuff you see around me. Uh, but uh, I'm also the director of themanchurch.com. Uh, that's, uh, that's how this Bible study started, because part of our discipleship strategy, and you can find all of it at themanchurch.com, everything you need to know is there. Uh, and it started with, uh, you know, part of our strategy is equipping men. Now, there's been a lot of men's ministry and conferences that challenge men. Nothing wrong with that. That's great. We're going to challenge you too. Uh, but we also provide that that missing piece, and that's the equipping. We have individual resources for men. Uh, these, these come in the form of 40 and 31-day devotionals. But we also have 40-week curriculum, uh, and we have uh, four of those, a fifth one coming out in 2024. And we can set you up and design it for your church. We are Somewhere between eight and nine hundred churches around uh, across this country and really around the world. We have some that are in Canada and in the Bahamas, and hopefully we'll grow on the worldwide stage. Uh, and we're getting incredible feedback now that we are about to finish, uh, and uh, we're about to finish year three because uh, we started in 2020, uh, and then we will we will be celebrating um, you know in 2024 our four year anniversary. And boy, the feedback that we're getting on this strategy. So if we can help you in any way, go to themanchurch.com. You'll see it includes high challenge and high equipping. Now, I do want to make a couple of points today. I will start with an apology. An apology. Uh, I was kind of getting on some of the men that were claiming the media button did not work at themanchurch.com to go watch or listen to the archives. You were right. The media button was not working. And I got on you pretty hard. Uh, so uh, I apologize for that. It was actually broken. Uh, so the media button should be fine now. And, and what the media button is at themanchurch.com, that's this Bible study and all the archives from years past and all the different series that we've been through. You can watch them or you can listen to them. So the media button should be working now. And it was broken, so that was on us. Uh, the other thing I want you to know is we did our first ever Man Church conference this year. We did that in February this year in Oxford, Alabama. That's my hometown. It was sold out uh, probably within about 60 days of the tickets going on sale. Uh, and we are having two conferences in 2024, Birmingham, uh, February 16th and 17th. Uh, the lineup there is Robbie Gallaty. That'll be our guest slot. Uh, you've got uh, Rich Wingo, you've got uh, Andy Blanks, and you've got me. Uh, and then we got Chuck Hooten doing uh, worship, who did it for us uh, this year. And I think if you were there, you know the spirit uh, of the Lord was with us. He does a great job. And we'll also be introducing our 2024 resources, a brand-new 31-day devotional, and a brand-new 40-week curriculum. You could go to Starkville, Mississippi, March 8th and 9th. Our guest slot there will be Granger Smith. Uh, you know, he is the the country music star that has walked away from country music uh, to completely follow Jesus. And um, he and I connected through the earthly death of our sons. Our wives connected first, and then we connected. And uh, so I reached out to him, and I said, man, I've been watching you speak and read your book. Would you be part of what we're doing? And he said yes. So he will be there March 8th and 9th in Starkville. James Spann will be there, uh, also uh, Scott Dawson, Andy Blanks, and I will be there, and Chuck Cooten as well, and we'll introduce the 2024 uh, uh, resources as well there. So if you are putting this off, I'm just going to tell you, if it's anything like what we experienced this year, what's going to happen is you're going to start panicking uh, the week of one of these two conferences, and you're going to desperately be looking for hotel rooms and tickets, and they're not going to be there. Okay, so don't do that. Uh, both of these are now well within 60% sold out. About 40% of the seats are left. 
uh, and they're all reserved. And if you want to get your men together and get your ticket, ladies, also a great idea for uh, Christmas presents and for the men on your list. There'll be a price increase if it doesn't sell out uh, once uh, once we get to the end of December. So make your moves, get the tickets done to the Man Church conferences uh, that are coming up in 2024 because they will sell out. All right, the other thing that I want to pass along to you is December 1st of this year, uh, we're, we're partnering with Promise Keepers. had a call with them just yesterday, and they're doing a Daring Faith conference out of New York City on December 1st. Now, you're, if you can get there, then certainly join us. Uh, I'm joining uh, the, the lineup there. But if you can't, you can have it simulcast to your church. Now, you'll need to contact Promise Keepers for that. That's not our thing. We're just partnering with them. But we do have that link for you at themanchurch.com, and you'll see it there under December 1st. If you want to see man churches that are going on all over the country next year, the ones that have been solidified, you can find those too at themanchurch.com under events. All right, so let's open in a word of prayer. Uh, we are starting a brand new series today. It will be uh, the Epistle of Paul in Second Corinthians. So Second Corinthians, brand new series, session one today. Uh, Lord, thank you for the opportunity to go into your holy word again today and, and to hear uh, the, the Apostle Paul as you speak through him, uh, and we apply this to our lives today. There, there's so much to take away just from the first seven verses. And uh, we're excited about what you're going to teach us today. In your holy name we pray. Amen. All right, so let's talk about 2 Corinthians. We have finished the revelation. I want to commend all the men in this room. I thought after the revelation, y'all be gone. Uh, But uh, but I will say this. um, After we have been through a year of Genesis and 11 months of the revelation, I'm exhausted. Uh, and I thought, well, let's do something a little lighter, and I don't know why I picked 2 Corinthians. Uh, right out of the gate, I'm getting all the commentary saying, you know, this is one of the most controversial uh, epistles from Paul, and there's so much uh, here that we don't – and I'm like, well, here I go again. Uh, but, but the reason why we're going back and picking up 2 Corinthians is we actually did 1 Corinthians, and we never did 2 Corinthians, so I apologize for that. If you're looking for 1 Corinthians, and, and they're, they stand on their own, but you can go find it in, in those archives. But um, 2 Corinthians uh, will start – and I want to give you some background on this. Um, this is, by m- most theologians all agree on this, that of all that Paul wrote in the New Testament, and it's a lot, and we'll cover that, this is his most personal and his most passionate letter. So, so that that's intriguing. He's dealing with a problem that at times seems more clear than at other times. There's times where he's not real specific about what the problem is, uh, and so no one really knows. We'll take what he does tell us. You know, in 1 Corinthians, it was real easy to follow. It was very specific, if you remember, what he was upset about. Here, it's a little it's a little more gray, not as, as specific, but we, we, we will find out a lot of it, though. So he, he is dealing with this. This we know, okay, because whatever he's talking about, and you're going to discover this, is more clear to him and the church than it's going to be to us. But here's some things that we do know. Uh, he is dealing with two different groups, but they're quite different. Now, the majority in Corinth uh, were on his side, okay? The majority of the church, they, they loved Paul. They, they were listening to Paul. They were coachable. But he also had a very, very aggressive, vocal, dangerous minority. Anybody familiar with how that looks? Uh, we, we, we've got a lot of that going on in our country, and you probably have it going on in your church. You know, the, a lot of times the minority, they can be quite vocal, quite aggressive. Uh, they can be quite dangerous, uh, and they were in this church. And they did not hesitate 
to try to undermine Paul. They didn't hold back. They would use innuendos. They would slander him. Whatever they could do to try to remove him or break down his credibility with the church and the churches, they were doing. So um, now I will say this. The epistle is never going to be clear, so let me just to prepare you for that. I hate to give away the ending. Uh, it's never going to be clear whether he accomplished what he hoped to accomplish with this letter, uh, but... If we cross-reference to some of his other letters and then him being interviewed in the book of Acts by Luke, we kind of get an idea that it was effective. Uh, If you want to go look at some, like go look at Romans 16.1 and also Romans um, uh, verse 23 of 16. Also, when he's being interviewed by Luke in Acts 20 uh, verses 2 through 3, it does see that he is promising to make a third visit to Corinth and when he was writing Romans, we think he was in Corinth, um, it, it seemed that everything at the church where he was writing the book of Romans seemed to be calm. So that's an indicator that maybe this was effective, uh, what, what he's doing here. Uh, so um, this is not going to be a, an easy journey uh, through this epistle, as I had hoped. Uh, it's not going to be. Uh, but I will tell you, it is chocked full of rewards, and at times it will be quite exhilarating. I promise you that. Uh, there's there's some stuff in here that is meaty, 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 and it is really, 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 really good. So so I, I couldn't be more excited about it, and I hope you'll join me in that enthusiasm. So let's go to chapter one. We're going to go through seven verses today, Lord willing, uh, and we're gonna we're gonna get into the the intro. And, there, and believe it or not, there's a lot going on in just the intro. Uh, he he he's going to identify himself right out of the gate as he always did, which. When people start adding everything that Paul wrote in the New Testament, there are many, many people that I'm very close to that I won't name, and they're, they, they have shut the door and they are convinced that Paul wrote Hebrews. But the reason why I'm not sold on that is he doesn't identify himself, and he always did. So, so now it could be that we lost him identifying himself, and it didn't make – I don't know. But, but I'm not saying he didn't write Hebrews, but I'm not one of these people that just closed the door and say, he absolutely did. He may have, and some people say it's likely that he did, but we don't know. But we do know he wrote this one. Why? Because he tells us he's writing it. Here it is. Uh, he says, Paul, and, and don't miss, right out of the gate is important, okay? Uh, he intros, Paul, an apostle of Jesus. Now, now that that that's big that he's saying he's an apostle of Christ Jesus because uh, he he is, um, don't forget, and, and I will say that probably if we will become as devoted as Paul to Jesus, we will have a similar experience based on what Jesus said and based on what Paul wrote to all his protégés that he was discipling. Paul has found himself in the no middle ground. He is either the most beloved apostle or he's the most hated. There is no in-between with Paul. And most people... If you will, if you will look, if you decide that you will be unapologetically devoted to Jesus, there will be people that will love you for it, and there'll be people who will absolutely hate you for it, and there won't really be any in between. But if you think about it, isn't that the way they saw Jesus? So if you're going to be an apostle of Jesus, as he said, when they hate you, remember they hated me first, and what they hate about you is actually the fact that you're with me. Uh, so Jesus was beloved and hated, uh, and it goes back to what we've been trying to teach. There really isn't any other ground 
when it comes to the devotion to Jesus. So uh, Paul's name always evoked feelings of love or loathing everywhere he went. You never, ever, ever in Paul's life says, well, what do you think about that Apostle Paul? And somebody went, eh. They either had a strong opinion about how, how much they respected him or they had a strong opinion on how much they hated him. And so let's let's just ask ourselves that right now. Is that the way people see you and me? I'm, only because of our devotion to Christ. I'm not talking about that people think we're jerks or they don't like our personality or, or something like that. I'm talking about when they look at our faith, does it does it evoke anything? I mean, do people go up and say, hey, tell me about Rick Burgess? And people go, what do you mean? What do you think about his faith? Is he? Is, what do you mean, faith in what? Well, you know, like, like his faith in Jesus. Nah, I don't know. I'm, I, I don't really have an opinion about it. See, if that's the case, then I, 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 got, I got something. I got, I got to check myself out. I mean, what's one of the things, and y'all have heard me say this before, but it's worth repeating again. What is one of the things that Paul tells young Timothy in his letters to him? Hey, let everybody know, and he's really specifying the men here, but he does mean everybody. But but he says to Timothy, the men, because they're going to be the leaders of the church, he said, tell all the men, if they choose to live a godly life, they will be persecuted. He didn't say some who choose will be persecuted. He said all who choose to live a godly life will be persecuted. Timothy, pass that on. So he's not surprised by that, and he can teach that. Why? Because that was his experience. So there were men that when you asked them about the Apostle Paul, you know what they would say? I'll do anything for him. Whatever he tells me to do, wherever he tells me to go, whatever he tells me to give, it will be done with no hesitation. But there are also those who wanted to kill him. And we found throughout the New Testament uh, more than one plot uh, surrounding uh, people trying to kill Paul. Uh, and, uh, so it's, uh, you know, he, 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 and there, why, why do you think Satan would spend so much time on Paul? We do know in Acts 19, when we have the seven sons of Sceva, what do we know? When they walk in and say, we want to evoke the name of Jesus and you to come out of this man, the, the name of Jesus that Paul calls upon. And what, what does, what does the demon say? Jesus, I know. And Paul, I recognize. Why do you think he recognizes Paul? 13 books of the New Testament we attribute to Paul, possibly Hebrews, because Paul had an incredible impact for the kingdom, and he was worthy to be killed. He was worthy to be attacked. And the demons and the adversary knew him, they were aware of him, and they hated him. Do you? Do, let me ask you this. Do the demons even remotely know our name? Would they say, Jesus... I know, and Rick, I recognize. Jesus, I know, and Benny, I recognize. And you, we can just go around the room. Or would, would, would the demon say to, to, to us what the demon said in Acts 19 to the seven sons of the Pharisee? Who are you? Now, if Paul came in here toting Jesus, we would have to leave. I would have to do whatever Paul told me to do because he's with Jesus. You come in here toting Jesus, I ain't going anywhere. Because in your hands, Jesus has no power. Because you're no Apostle Paul. And do we look at Apostle Paul and say, what a radical. He's over the top. He gets carried away. 
There's no need for that. Or is he just the real deal? Is that the way we're all supposed to look? That have truly been transformed by Jesus? Is he some high standard or is he just the basic way it looks? Is he just a transformed man by Jesus like any of us could be? The only thing special about Paul is Jesus and the power of Jesus. And he makes that remotely clear. He even says all the stuff that we would applaud, he ends up losing. But he said, but I gained Christ. And I consider all the rest of that just to be garbage. Do you consider if, if all of a sudden God took everything away from you and me, everything we have, our standing, our money, our property, our job, our family, and all we had was Jesus, would that be okay? Is that enough? Paul said it was. And, buddy, did he pay a price. He certainly can put his money where his mouth is. Some of those that would do anything that he suggested, Silas, Timothy, Gaius, Luke, and what did they go on to be? They were his disciples. And what did they go on to be? Leaders in the new church. They were horses for the faith. And you know who taught them? Paul. But, like I said, there were those that, that wanted to kill him because of the same reason, because of the impact that he had for the church. Uh, so he, he, he calls himself an apostle, and, but he's saying not just that, that he is, 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 uh, is Paul. He now says, I am Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus. Now think about this. Number one, there's two reasons why he's doing this. Number one is the first five weeks you would ever spend in a man church curriculum, if you started with our first curriculum called The Pursuit, the first five weeks says you better get a new identity and what your identity should be and what it shouldn't be. And guess what we say it should be, what the Bible says it should be, in Jesus. So Paul says, my identity is Jesus. I'm not just Paul. I'm Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus. And I want to ask you what I had to ask myself studying this. Can I stand here and somebody say, who are you? And I say, I'm Rick. I'm a disciple of Jesus Christ. I am Rick in Christ. That's my new identity. That's who I am. Everything else is meaningless. I'm not Rick, the radio host. I'm not Rick, Sherry's husband. I'm not Rick, my kid's daddy. All those things are important. But that's not my identity. I'm not Rick, the, the football fan. I'm not Rick, the deer hunter. I'm not Rick, the bass fisherman. I'm Rick in Christ. Everything else is secondary. That's my identity. And if you don't like Jesus, you're not going to like me. But if you love him, we're going to have a great relationship. Well, that's who Paul was. And, man, I hope and pray. And you know why I know that all of us can be in the same boat? Because I know Jesus. We just talked about it. Hey, he, he transforms everybody. And if he hadn't transformed us, we're the problem. So when you think about where, where Paul stands, now look, this is, this is powerful, and I think it was John Phillips that said this, and I thought it was great. Remember what Jesus said about John the Baptist, who I love, John the Baptist. But this was before the Holy Spirit, okay, before the Holy Spirit was poured out. And he said, now I'll tell you about John the Baptist, who was here to talk about my coming and to, to pave the way. There is no man born of a woman greater than John. 
But what did he say? But the least, the least in the kingdom that is to come in the church will be more powerful than John. So John, if you look at Scripture and you look at the way he died, John got an incredible endorsement from Jesus. But but some would argue John was the greatest born of a woman. Paul may be the greatest born of the Spirit. He was born of a woman. That's before the Holy Spirit was poured out. But in the church age, Paul may be the greatest. It's debatable. But, boy, you'd have a hard time refuting that. So next, Paul is going to emphasize what? His authority. What does he say? He said, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, and we just unpacked a ton there. Okay, I hope you stayed with me. But then he says, what, where his authority comes from? By the will of God. It's not my authority. I go out by the will of God. What, how did Jesus teach us to pray? Not our will be done, but God's will be done, just like it's always done in heaven. May that be done here on earth. Is that how you and I live our life? We say my identity is in Christ Jesus, and my authority comes from the will of God. If it's not his will, I don't want to be part of it. Paul says that's our authority. If you're not in the will of God, I'm not in the will of God, you don't, you, you don't have any authority. I, I don't want anyone to listen to us. We're, we're not, we're, this is our will. Are people hearing your will and my will, or are they hearing God's will? And you know what you say sometimes? God's will be done. And you know what What he says? Well, let me tell you what my will is. You ain't going to like it. Then we kind of start thinking, oh, okay, well, maybe I just want my will to be done. I didn't know it was going to be something bad. Well, you're going to benefit from it, but it's going to be difficult. And Paul's going to talk about that quite a bit today. My will is that you suffer. Oh, I'm out. My, my will is that your devotion to me is going to cost you something. Because that's how I'll be glorified the best. So people will see that you're the real deal when something's taken from you and you're still devoted to me. And also I need to break you down too because your problem is not you're not strong enough. Your problem is you're not weak enough. And I'm going to love you enough to make you so weak that you are completely dependent on me, which is where you should have been to begin. should always be anyway. But sometimes we just can't quite get there because we're just too sinful and we're just too arrogant. We're just too prideful and we're too strong. And I'm putting quotes around that. Sometimes our problem isn't strength. It's a lack of weakness. The right kind of weakness. That doesn't mean being passive. It means being broken. So Paul is going to emphasize that his authority comes from the will of God. Paul loved, loved, loved. This is another thing we need to take, about, take away from him. You know what Paul loved to tell? His conversion story. He loved it. Do you realize how many times he got that he did it? I mean, he was constantly telling people his conversion story. Acts 9, if y'all writing these down, Acts 9, 1 through 16, we, we, we hear his conversion story. He's telling Luke what happened to him. Then he comes back again in chapter 22 of Acts, verses 1 through 23, and guess who he's telling his conversion story to now? People that want to kill him. An angry mob. He loved angry mobs. And, and he didn't always, it didn't always turn out good. But when he saw an angry mob who wanted to refute him about Jesus, what did he say? What an opportunity. And he tells his conversion story. So then we know, then he's, there, I mean, he could, he could be killed. He gets in front of Festus and he gets in front of Agrippa and, and he's standing before them accused, possibly about to be killed. And what does he tell them? His conversion story. 
And he even calls Agrippa out a little bit and says, you know what I'm saying was prophesied. And Agrippa says, wow, that's bold. You think you can convert me to be a follower of Jesus right now? He said, I sure am going to try. He, and he looked at Festus. Festus, you don't really know about this, but Agrippa knows about this because that was the Jewish representative of, of, of their, uh, with the Roman Empire. And then I love Agrippa says, so you're going to turn me into a follower of Jesus right now? I'm on trial. If it's the only shot I got. Is that the way you and I live our lives? Is, is telling your conversion story, here's the thing I, you got to know, do you have one? I've had, you wouldn't believe how many people I've had come to me and say, well, I'm intimidated because I don't know deep theology yet. I said, so what? I don't either. I'm learning. I don't know the Bible good enough. Well, first of all, you need to remedy that. But second, you ain't got a story? How did Jesus change you? Are you a different person? Have you been transformed? That's all Paul's talking about. Paul doesn't get into deep theology. He says, I was persecuting the church. I ran into Jesus, realized I was wrong. I repented, and now he's got me out working for him. I was passionately wrong. He took who I was, same personality, and instead of me being against the church, I'm now advancing the church because he transformed me. I had an encounter with him. And don't. And what was the other thing why he keeps talking about him being an apostle? Because people kept, they kept refuting that. You're not an apostle. You weren't with the original 12. You're not an apostle. He said, no, I had an encounter with the glorified Christ. You're right. I didn't walk with him before he went to the cross. But after the resurrection, I met him face to face. I'm absolutely an apostle. And he was always doubling down on that. And he'd just tell his story. So um, so, so that's, that's some things we need to take away. The next thing he does, what does he mention? So he's mentioned his identity is in Christ. He's mentioning that he's here to do the will of God. That's his authority. And then the next thing he acknowledges is one of his colleagues, Timothy. Now keep in mind, this is, this is, this is something to note. He doesn't call Timothy an apostle because Timothy's not. He said he's our brother. He's been discipled by me, the apostle. So he's making clear that we understand that we all know the pecking order here. Timothy's going to be a hoss, but Timothy does not get title of apostle. Timothy gets title as brother, and he is someone we can trust, and he is here with me, and he, he is going to be someone who will get a lot of responsibility. We know that. He became the pastor of the church at Ephesus after, after Paul you know, had him discipled and ready to go. So, and, and what he's doing that is he's just giving uh, Timothy a little pat on the back, a little commendation, a little, a little commendation right there for, for Timothy. Once you know that he's here with me and I, I love him. And uh, so, but he doesn't share my same authority, but he is one of our brothers. So next, who does he address? His converts. Now look, look what he says next. He says, this letter, this epistle is to the church of God that is in Corinth. So make a note of that with all the saints who are in the whole of Achaia. Now, now let me tell you what, what that is, okay? So here's what's going on. So we, we have Corinth, and what happened is Caesar Augustus divided Greece into two provinces, Macedonia and Achaia. Achaia is going to be the southern part of Greece. Now, that will include Corinth, but also other cities, but probably the one you would recognize the most, it includes Athens, uh, which was a, a, you know, a big deal in, in, uh, in Greece, as we know. So what he wants to do is he says, I want you to know that, that this letter is going to all those that have converted to followers of Jesus all over this southern providence, including Corinth. So I want this letter to go to all of them. 
Well, here's the thing. Are you ready? Man, I mean, we ain't wasting any time with conviction, are we? If right now you needed to write a letter, how many copies we need to all the people that you've discipled and led to Jesus? The people that are looking to you for leadership, looking for you for teaching, that you are discipling, how many copies do we need of your letter? Do I need a bunch of them? Do I need any? Can you even write a letter to anybody that you have discipled or that you had let, you've led to their conversion to Christ? So he's, he's got a bunch. He got to send a bunch out. What about you and me? How many letters do we need for you and me? So um, are, you, are you discipling anybody? I, I had the opportunity last week you know, the Scott Dawson Evangelistic Association, which I have a very, you know, I, we support them through the Bronner Burgess Memorial Fund. Scott and I are dear friends. We've been through a lot of battles together. He's a powerful evangelist. And and God has found a way for them to have this 200-square-foot building now for, to, to do an institute of discipling people and sending them out into ministry and to put their operation there and all that. It was amazing how this gift was given to them. And so he asked me to be there to talk about why it's important to be involved in evangelism and why it's important to send these ministers out and why it's important to train them and, and youth, youth pastors. And there's a huge need for youth pastors right now and, and all of this. And, and these media people like one of my sons that can do all the media stuff and they, they're going to train these kinds of these and worship leaders all there and making sure they have good sound theology when they're leading people and in, in, in the music and the worship. And, and it was simple. I said, uh, this is not complicated. It's rare that someone hears me say, my time won't take very long. Uh, uh, there's no need to laugh at that. And, uh, and, and I, um, I got up and I said, the last thing Jesus said before he ascended was quite simple. Be my disciples and make disciples and teach them all that I have commanded you. And you keep doing that till you die or I come back. So I guess it's pretty important. Since that's the last thing he said before he ascended to his proper place at the right hand of God. And if you look at the parables that he keeps talking to the redeemed, to the lost, as I've told you before, Jesus just says repent or perish. But all the rest of this stuff is to us. And, in, and it's parable after parable after parable that says what? Don't let me come back and you not be doing what I told you to do. Don't shrink at my return, meaning I found you not doing what I told you to do, you run to me when I return because you can't wait to hear well done, good and faithful servant. So how do I get a well done? You be a disciple and you make disciples. That's it. And, and we're supposed to do that as the number one priority in our life, as a response to his redemption. What do we do next, Jesus? Well, now you go do what I, I told you to do and I, that I've enabled you to do, and I'll even go with you. And I wonder sometimes if that last command of Jesus, if we maybe didn't hear it or we, we didn't understand it, but, boy, he talks about it a lot. So he talks about his to all of his converts out there, those he's been discipling. And then look at verse 2. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. He shows concern. He shows concern for the church, concern for those he's discipling. Uh, because remember, the reason why he's calling for peace, remember he did talk about this in 1 Corinthians 1, if you were in the study, 
what had happened in the church is there had become a, a weird divide in the church at Corinth. You had those that were the Pauline faction. They were all about Paul. And then you had the Cephas faction. They were all about Peter. And they would argue about Paul's authority versus Peter's authority, which is I remember we studied in, in 1 Corinthians, and they also had some that went out that followed Apollos too because he was such an eloquent speaker. And, and what Paul is saying, hey, peace, we got to have peace in the church. we we got to stop all these factions. Peter, me, Apollos, that's not, y'all not supposed to be following us. You're not supposed, we're supposed to be teaching you who to follow, which is Jesus. So you had the ones that loved Apollos because he was the eloquent speaker. I just love to hear him talk. He's very gifted as a speaker. Some people love that. That's they, they love that that kind of teacher, and they're drawn to them. Then you have what? The people who looked at Paul, and they said, oh, his education. His education. He's so learned. He's such a deep teacher. He knows so much. The intellects, they loved Paul. And what do you think the, the Peter faction was all about? It's still alive today. Celebrity. He's one of the original 12. He was with Jesus. He's coming to speak to us. Peter is coming to speak to us. You know, he was with him. He, was, he wasn't just in the 12. He was in the three. Celebrity. And Paul is saying we can't have those kind of factions in the church. We need to be focused on Jesus, not people, including me. And so he's calling for that, and, and he says we need to be, all be one church. We need to drop the animosity. We need to drop the factions. And, of course, they're also inside Corinth. There was a Jewish faction, and they really hated Paul. Now, why did they hate Paul? The Gentiles? Are you kidding me? You're out telling us that the Gentiles are grafted in now, that we're one church, the Gentiles have equal standing with us? They hated that. And what he's saying is we're all one church. We've got to stop the animosity. We've got to stop the factions. I want there to be peace in the church. I want you to remember that all of us are equal under one thing. What? Grace. We were all in the same equal need of grace. And who are we all supposed to come under uh, the authority of together? God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. That's who we all have in common. We have the fact that we needed grace in common. We have the fact that we can only be redeemed by God the Father through his Son, Jesus Christ, and that ought to bring peace. And Jesus said that, didn't he? Now, verses 3 through 7. Paul is going to now, he's going, now he's going to defend his motives all the way into chapter 2, but we're not going that far today. Uh, but he's going to start defending his motives uh, and through the next several verses. So, so first of all, he's going to give a word of exultation, okay? And, and he's going to talk about comfort and, and the source of, of comfort, the three through seven. He's going to talk about uh, the, the, the comfort uh, which is paternal. He's going to talk about a comfort which is personal. He's going to talk about a comfort which is, which is perfect. And that's going to be through just through verse three. So listen to what he says. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies, and the God of all comfort. Now, that's important. First of all, he says the comfort comes because we have a perfect father. I'm telling you something. I've seen it all over, not just with females, but with males. Man, it doesn't take long, does it, for you to spot in a person daddy issues. I have a bad daddy. My father has, has so damaged me. And I, I, and, I, and I just feel like I don't have a father I can trust. Yes, you do. 
Yes, you do. Everybody has a perfect father if you're redeemed, and that's God the Father. And, and so the first thing that he's saying is, you have a perfect father, you are blessed to have such a father, and you have a father that completely understands you. Next, he says what? The comfort should be personal. Look what he says. The, the, the blessed be the, uh, the God and Father of our Lord. Our Lord. He didn't say the Lord right here. He says our Lord. It's personal. It's not just the Lord Jesus Christ. It's our Lord Jesus Christ. And, and, and he taught us to pray. He taught us to that, 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 that how to be sacrificial. He taught us to fulfill his Father's will. He, he, he went to the cross to, to fulfill the will of his Father, even when his Father said, I want you to pay the price they owe. He did it. It's personal. He did it to fulfill the will of his Father, but what was the will of his Father? That he do it for us. This is the only way they can be redeemed. He, he, and right now, it's not over. If you've been redeemed by your Lord, Jesus Christ, it's our Lord, not just the Lord. He is the Lord, but he's also your Lord if you've been redeemed. And guess what he's doing right now? He's your advocate. He's presenting you and me as fully righteous. Is there any gratitude for that? And how about this? Don't you take comfort in that? you got a loving father who understands you, and he loves you so much he would sacrifice his own son, and his son loves his father so much that he would say, I'll do it. And now I will present them to you fully righteous. Doesn't that comfort you? It's personal. And then the next thing he says is, it's perfect. It's perfect. Look what he says next. The father of mercies, and the God of all comfort. Underline all. It's not some comfort. It's all comfort. You know what that means? There's absolutely nothing, nothing that he doesn't provide comfort for. Nothing. We see the psalmist saying, look, when we're brokenhearted, what does it say? He's near to the brokenhearted. We see, we see John 16, 33, you hear me quote this all the time. I've overcome the world. Have peace in that. Have comfort in that. I've overcome the world. There's nothing that we can say, you don't understand. He can say, I completely understand. I lowered myself to take on human flesh so I could go out there and experience what you experience. You don't bring anything to me that I go, I'm sorry, I can't relate to that. All comfort. It's perfect. Think about God the Father. When Jesus is talking about the prodigal son, he's talking about God. And what did the prodigal father do when the son repented? He didn't even wait for him to come all the way to the house. He started cutting down the distance between him and the repentant son. And he went and he got him. And he celebrated his redemption. That's the father that you and I have. That's the advocate that you and I have. And Paul wanted the church to remember that. Next, he begins to talk about the scope in verse 4, the scope of the comfort. Look at this. Who comforts us in all. I want you to understand, uh, underline all every time it appears in Scripture. 
who comforts us in all our afflictions so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. You can follow this. This isn't deep. It may be hard to apply, but it, it, it's easy to understand. What he's saying is the, 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 the scope of our comfort is that, that, that we, any affliction we're in, but then there's the strength of our comfort. So, so the beginning of four is, is the scope, and that's clear. It says, who comforts us in all affliction. So he can comfort us in anything. That's the scope. Then there's the strength, okay, of comfort that comes in 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 four B and then all the way into five, when he says that, that this is that all of our afflictions can be comforted. This appears eighteen times in this epistle. This this word here and and the Greek here is parakaleo, parakaleo, and and what it means is it, it it's it's more than just hey man I'm trying to comfort you I hope you're okay. This word actually was used in in legal matters. It's almost like when I said that about the advocate, it's almost like you have someone who isn't just comforting you. They're going after whoever's bringing the affliction against you and saying, no, I will defend him. I will defend her. I will not allow this affliction to be placed on them because I have deemed them fully righteous. I'm in this affliction. I will defend them. I will comfort them in this. And, and it's almost like it's, it's, when you think about this advocate, this word he's using here when he says comfort, it literally means that he'll plead our case. Do you have comfort knowing that? Yeah. I mean, I mean, this is just... And, and and then Paul goes on to say next when he says that the the, the strength of this comfort it, it it overflows and don't forget who it's coming from the object of the comfort the not only is it un, you can't be bound it's overflowing and it, it can it can put a salve on any affliction don't forget the object of the comfort it's from the one and only living God it'd be one thing for you to hear well Rick thinks he can comfort you. Okay, maybe. But what about when you hear God says he can comfort you? I bet he can. I bet he can. And and, and so then, then you think about the strength of the comfort. L- look what he says here, the strength of the comfort. And we'll get into five a little bit here. So he says, with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God, for as we share abundantly, I'm in five now, and Christ suffering, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. Okay, so right, I can't really appreciate comfort if I've never been through anything. Do you need comfort? Not really. So your life's been great? It has. Okay. But it's different if you've, if you've been through trouble. And so what, what Paul is reminding us is that if we are truly devoted to Christ, and Paul knows this firsthand. You're going to see it in this epistle, especially when we get to chapter 12. Oh, it's so powerful. But anyway, Paul knows about affliction, and he knows it firsthand. But he says everybody who chooses to follow Jesus will know affliction. You will know of it. He said that's not a maybe. And and this gets into this, and I, I just absolutely despise this phrase, and I despise it on both ends. Why do bad things happen to good people? 
First of all, where do we get off saying what's happening to us is bad? Some of the affliction I've suffered actually was very good for me. Where do we get off calling it bad? It may not be bad. It may be for our own good. I didn't say it was enjoyable, but I did say it was beneficial. Where do we get off calling just if things aren't going our way, that's bad? It may not be bad. It may be good. It may save your life. It, it, it saved mine. Difficulty because it made me dependent on God as opposed to being dependent on myself. And then we get into the one that's probably more outrageous, good people. Where are these people? I've never met good people. I've met people that were that seemed more desirable than other people, but most all of us are not very good at all. Speaking about myself first, we're petty, we're prideful, we're, we tend to be unforgiving, uh, self-satisfying, greedy, crude, uncaring. I, I mean, the best of us is, is, is filthy rags compared to, to the standard. Which is perfection, so I would I would never call everything bad or call people good. I don't think a lot of times neither one of those is right. So Paul is talking about that. He says, "Look, many times these things are used by God to run us to Him, only to discover that only the strength of His comfort actually does the trick." And every time we discover that, we find what? That his comfort overflows. And then he lets us know that when we're in the middle of affliction, I, I actually, should I share this with you? We're not the only people that watch this, are we? Um, okay. I um, And if you know my wife and you know me and you've ever read her book, that this would be a, a, a switch flipper. Um, I was involved in a conference call yesterday and it involved I'll get an opportunity to speak about this topic that we're talking about right here my wife has spoke on it for years and written as well as I've ever seen and I know I'm prejudiced but uh, other people have said that not just me on this topic and and my topic is pain and suffering and uh, and why do we suffer and the person says now don't feel the obligation to have any revelations or have any answers during your presentation, I'm perfectly fine if at the end of it all you say you don't really know. Uh, uh, and I, I could tell the person who had invited me to the conference was just like, I just saw their head go down. And I said, whoa, whoa now, easy. I said, I can assure you of one thing. You will never hear me say that. That ain't going to happen. If that's what you're looking for, then I'm the wrong guy. I see God has never been silent on this issue. He has a lot to say about it. And it isn't true that we walk around when it comes to difficulty and affliction. We just don't know why. God has told us why over and over. And there's many whys. And he hasn't ever been silent on any of it. And here's Paul talking about afflictions, and guess what Paul says? 
Where is God during our affliction? And Paul says, right in the middle of it. Right in the middle of it. Allowing it and causing it many times. Always allowing it because then you have to think, well, can he stop it? Yeah. So if he doesn't, he allowed it. And then you go, yeah, but he doesn't cause it. Oh, yes, he does sometimes. Not every time. Sometimes he's just allowing it, and we've caused it, or something has caused it. But there are times throughout Scripture where he absolutely causes it. I mean, just just read his relationship with the Hebrews. It's not the Babylonians coming against you. I'm just using them. It's my hand against you. I'm causing this because I've got to discipline you to get you back to me. I'm bringing pestilence. I'm bringing affliction. You'll even go look at David's baby when David's baby dies. You know what Scripture says? God made the baby sick. Satan didn't. God did. It says it right in Scripture. But why? Well, the baby's going to be fine. David even says, the baby's not coming back to me, but I will go to him. But God was teaching a lesson. And what is that lesson? Sin always matters. So in this particular case, you see Paul reminding us that we are going to to have affliction and we are going to, to suffer. But look what he says next. Don't we know that we will be comforted through Christ, and we share abundantly in the comfort. If we share in suffering with Christ, here's the good news. He's also the source of our comfort. So where is Christ in the middle of affliction? Right there with us. He hasn't abandoned us. He's not unaware of it, and he certainly can relate to it. So look what he says next. Six, if we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. If we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which you experience when you patiently endure the same sufferings that we suffer. And then look at seven. Our hope for you is unshaken, for we know that as you share in our sufferings, you will also share in our comfort. He said you can't have comfort without suffering. If there's no affliction, then there's no reason for comfort. If you want to experience God's comfort, you'll probably have to experience suffering and affliction. And boy, isn't it sweet when it comes. So the significance of our comfort, the life of God's servant. And here's really what we can say. And when I say hell right now, I'm talking about the place hell. I'm not trying to to say something inappropriate in a Bible study. If you really look at what Paul's saying right now, he said, here's the message that we can carry for those of us that have suffered for Christ and why we're allowed to suffer. Because then I can go look at somebody else who's suffering, and I can say this. I can say, you know what? As God's servant, I've been through hell on earth, so I can relate and comfort you. I can tell you what has helped to comfort me. I can tell you this many, many times. How many times? Fill in the blank. You've got your stuff. I got mine. How many times? Well, let's just do this. How many times has it helped you 
for somebody to walk up to you and you go, man, this is what I'm going through, and they go, I've been there. My marriage is falling apart. Been there. My marriage is falling apart, too. Let me tell you how we got through it. Oh, okay, so you're not just going to tell me things you know work, even though that's all right, truth is truth, but there's something quite different about I've been there. I can't tell you how many times I've, I've spoke over the years at, at men's things, and I can feel that pushback, you know. Here's the radio guy, but I don't want you to get up there talking to us. Blah, blah, blah. And then all of a sudden I rode through the earthly death of one of my sons. And as soon as that happens, you can feel like a hush go over the men. And you know what they say? Oh. Oh, okay. So your life really hasn't been all health, wealth, and prosperity. See, that's what we thought. And you know what they think? Well, let's hear what he has to say. Right? What do you think it feels like when I walk up and somebody's buried their child and they go, I, look, man, I said, hey, I buried one of mine. Really? How did you breathe? Let me tell you what, let me tell you who God is in this. Let me tell you what he did for me. And Paul's saying that's, it, it, we're able to help other people. And then we also can tell them what? What it's like to be comforted by God. We can tell them both. Now, we can if we've never experienced either one. But it helps us to be able to go out, and and and, and he says, in, in the lives of the saints, Paul is quite confident that the Corinthians, if called to suffer for the gospel like he has suffered, he's confident if they have listened to him and all he's been through, you know what he's saying? I think you'll do it. I think you'll endure. I have all the confidence in the world that you have been so taught about this topic and I have been so clear about it and you've watched how I lived my life. I have confidence that when you are suffered, and by the way, notice that Paul isn't wondering if they will. Take a note of that. That's back to what he told Timothy. He knows they're going to suffer. If they're devoted, hey, in the Roman Empire, you're going to decide to be a devout follower of Jesus? Affliction and suffering is a given. And all he's saying is when you suffer, not if you. When you suffer, I think you'll be fine because you've been taught by people who've already suffered, and we were taught by a Savior who also suffered. And we share in his afflictions, and so we can share in his comfort. So I just want you to know that because I want to follow the example of my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Here's what he told me about following him, that I would be hated, that I need to count the cost, that it would cost me. He said that. I need to deny myself. I need to pick up my cross, and that I'm going with him through a narrow gate, and the path that I've chosen will be hard, and most people don't endure it. You ever been taught that before? Because that's right out of the Bible. But we don't talk like this much, do we? And that's why we have people that get disenfranchised, when they, they repent and they decide to follow Jesus and all of a sudden all this bad stuff starts coming against them and they think they've done something wrong. They don't know it might be an indicator that they're on the right track because we don't ever tell them that because we treat justification like, well, that's the end of it. You're going to heaven now. Now go out there and just continue your life. When we don't realize justification, oh, my goodness, I've, I've, just, I've just decided to wage war against my flesh and I've and wage war against demonic forces and to wage war against the world. That's what I just signed up for. Honestly, have you ever been taught that much? I never was, really. 
Now I've surrounded myself with people who, who, you know, they understand that. But you don't hear that a whole lot, do you? And the problem with that is I think we send people out in the world and not we don't have them prepared for the battle that waits on them. And that's why they crumble like a tin can. And they compromise because they just want to get alone. And they don't like the world being upset with them because of their devotion to Jesus. I can, you, want, you can read my email today. I have been called scum today because of God's standard. You are scum. You know what I said? If you think that I'm scum because I'm devoted to God's standard, I guess I am. I'm not against you, but I am for him. If you don't like his standard, then call me whatever you want. You're not going to like me very much, but that's okay. I still love you, and I still think you can be redeemed just like me. I don't need redemption. Yeah, I know. I remember how that felt, but you do. It's part of it. And, uh, and, and, and Paul has said that, that that is the way it will be. He says, we should never be surprised by trials, troubles, hate, scorn, persecution from the world. And why does God allow that to take place? Why didn't he just stop it? Because here's what he knows. And you may not like hearing this. If you've ever been a parent, you'll understand this. Because God knows that discipline develops us, it also conforms us into the goal. Do you know what the goal is? He's trying to refine us and discipline us and form us into the image of his son. Because we've been adopted by God the Father. And when he adopts children... He brings him into the same standing of his son. But God's not going to have children that look like the devil. He's going to have children that look like his son. And he'll do whatever he deems necessary to accomplish it. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for today. Thank you for just these first seven verses, uh, Paul, to the church at Corinth. Uh, we're so thankful uh, for Paul's obedience. Lord, thank you for what you have taught us through him. May we apply it to our lives today. May we understand when we repent and to say we're going to follow you, that you have never been silent on what we are agreeing to. So if we don't know it, it's out of our own ignorance, our preference, not because you haven't clearly told us. In your holy name we pray. Amen.